Let's get into the word. John chapter 14 is where we will be. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, just reminded that you do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or even think. Lord, I know you've done it in my life, and I don't believe I'm any more special than anybody else. But I do believe, Lord, that you respond and act based on belief and faith and trust. So I pray, Lord, that you would take that uh, little grain of, of faith that we have, that little mustard seed, Lord, and multiply it. Use us, Lord. Father, we pray for the word this morning, that it would be received as it is in truth, the word of God. Not the word of man, not the word of a preacher, but that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. So Lord, we trust that uh, as we listen and think on the things you're telling us, that it will be profitable to our lives and we'll learn to love you with our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength. Lord, ultimately, we just, we just want to know you. Father, open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word. It's in Jesus' name, all God's precious people said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have pets, just out of curiosity? you have pets? Dogs? Anybody have dogs? Okay, I'm not going to ask about cats. But no, I don't know. But do, do cats suffer from separation anxiety? Do, they do. I see some heads nodding. Cats do that too? Okay. Uh, how many of you have, so then evidently some of you have cats or dogs that have separation anxiety? All right, how many of you have children that have separation anxiety? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you've ever worked in the Sunday school class, you can see how difficult it can be to pry a child off of you while you try to convince them to stay in this strange class with strange people while you go somewhere else. And that somehow you're going to, to them, you disappear. You're gone. And, and they don't understand, they don't comprehend. I, I ask, I, you know, I share personal illustrations a lot, and I want you to know that before I share any personal illustration from my family, I always ask the family member, so I talked to Madeline this morning, and I said, do you mind if I tell the story? And she said, for $10, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Actually, it was more like 20 <laughs> But Madeline had great separation anxiety when she was little, and we would go to, you know, we didn't let that turn us away from going to church. We would go, and Helga and I would we would like do tag team. You know, one week Helga would be with Madeline in her Sunday school class, and then the next week, and I would be in the, in the service, and then the next week we'd switch, and we would just try to keep weaning her off so we could kind of both go to the service and enjoy it together. And it took a long time. We're still working on it, by the way. <laughs> we'll get there one of these days. Separation anxiety. You know, a parent. Because kids can't always go everywhere that you are, and so they can't come to work with you necessarily. Your boss would not look highly on that, so we leave them in daycare, childcare, and kids don't understand that. And they get very anxious because they feel like they're never going to see you again. To them, you know, just like to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. I mean, they, you could be gone, for, you know, a long time, and they're waiting and they're nervous. And I wanted to get that picture in your mind of a child just loving their parent and not wanting to be separated from them. As we're in John chapter 14, that's exactly what the disciples are going through. They're going through a separation anxiety. As Jesus says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Actually, we're going to start back in chapter 13 a little bit. 
And I'll remind you as we get into this, we've been making our way from chapter 1, verse 1 of the Gospel of John, and we'll go all the way to the end. And the point that John is writing for, the reason, the motivation for him writing, is because he's found the truth, he knows the truth, and he wants you to know it too. John's purpose and goal for his gospel is that you would believe, that you would believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the one that God sent to be the Savior of the world. He is all that he said he is. And so some people uh, believe that, and many people don't. And John is writing so that we could continue to read. That's why a lot of people recommend the Gospel of John first. If you meet somebody and they've never read the Bible, you say start in the Gospel of John because it's a book about belief. And it's presenting all of these statements and evidences uh, for believing that Jesus is truly God in the flesh. And we'll see that uh, just confirmed for us as we go through. Chapter 13, uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He left this as an example for them to follow. He, he just taught them about a new commandment back in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And, and a new d- dynamic of that. Not just you love as your neighbor, but that you love as I have loved you. So Jesus says, I've set the example for what love looks like. It's sacrificial. It's enduring. Love is patient, it's kind, and all the things Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. But if you look back a little bit in verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus said, now, now he's, they've, had the, they've shared the Lord's Supper. Jesus is giving them the final teaching, the final, his final words before he is crucified uh, in the following morning. So this is uh, what we would call Thursday evening. He's arrested in the middle of the night. Uh, and before that, he spends this special time with his disciples this intimate group, and he's preparing them for his departure. And he says to them in verse 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Now, right there, Peter has checked out. He's, he's heard that, and then Jesus goes through the whole new commandment thing, and Peter's not listening to any of that. How do we know? Look at verse 36. So Jesus says all these things, new commandment I give to you, so on and so forth. By this you'll know that, all are, that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then Peter says, uh, Lord, where are you going? He just totally missed that. You found that to be true with kids. I'm going to get you ice cream, but you've got to do your homework first. When can we have ice cream? You know, miss the whole homework thing or whatever. You just, we heard the thing, and then that's where we're focused, and that's Peter. So as Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Now remember, he told the the Pharisees, the the Jewish religious leaders, that he was going to go away and they would seek him and they would die in their sins. And what was their sin? Their sin was unbelief. That's That's the sin that condemns a person. All the other sins are handled through the forgiveness of the cross. But to receive that, you have to accept it. You have to believe that Jesus is, well, we'll get to that later in this passage in chapter 14. So the sin that will condemn a person, it's not that God wants to send people to hell. He wants people to believe. But that sin of rejection of the cure. I mean, if you have a disease, if you have cancer, you have a disease, and, there's a, and there's, here's a cure for you, and you reject that cure, really, you've condemned yourself. 
So people condemn themselves by not believing that Jesus is the cure. He's the answer. So that's why the Pharisees couldn't go. He tells Peter, hey, look, where I'm going, you can't follow me now. But you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And truly, in the garden, Peter will, you know, he, he's ready for a fight. He's ready for Jesus to, to do the hostile takeover of the Romans and set up his kingdom. And he wants to be part of that. And Peter is getting all buff and, and ready for this fight. And in the garden, when the, when the police come to arrest Jesus, right? Judas betrays Jesus with the kiss. Peter pulls his sword and, and hacks off an ear. Now, how does he do that? Like, how does he get the ear? And I don't know. It, coming down. Anyway, Peter hacks off the ear. And, and Jesus tells him, Peter, put your sword away. You, you don't know how to use that thing. <laughs> you don't have bad aim. He's a fisherman. You know, what's he know about a sword? And... So he's ready to fight. He's ready to fight. So I, I believe Peter is very genuine. It's Peter's denial is a whole different thing than Judas's betrayal. Whole different. Peter's he really feels, you know, he's been walking with the Lord for three years, spending, the, Jesus was the center of their lives. They spent all their time together. And I believe Peter was very sincere because he had a level of strength because of the presence of Christ in his life. And sometimes we can get that, and then we think that that level of strength belongs to us. Maybe you've done this. We're, we're so good at knowing what, what we would do in other people's situations, aren't we? Well, if that happened to me, this is what I would do. And we can get that overconfidence, right? We're very good at that. I, I've, I've been humbled too many times. I go, I don't know what I would do. I'll pray for you, because I don't know what I would do if I was in your shoes. I don't know what I would do if I was going through that. See, Peter has a little bit of a false sense of his own strength. And I think human beings, human pride produces that too. We can get a little bit of a false sense of our own strength. Peter said, Lord, I mean, we always want to ask that question, why? Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Peter, you, you sure you know yourself? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So this is kind of out of left field. Peter's saying, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, actually, what's really going to happen is you're going to deny me. And I wonder if he, oh, no, not me. I would never do that. You ever said that? I, that would never happen to me. The minute you say that, watch out. Not because God's going, oh, you, want, you think so. No, but because you get, if you have confidence, if you have overconfidence, then you stop protecting that area. You stop depending on Jesus in that area, and that's when you get weak. You see, it's in our weakness that we're strong, and it's in our perceived strength that we become weak. Oh, when you think you can handle it, when you think you got it. And I know, you know, we meet a lot of people that come in, oh, they, something's going on, the kids are this, or my job is that, or, or work is here, and uh, we need finances are this, and my marriage is that. And so they come in needing some strength. And they, and they get fed by the word and get strengthened up and get loved. And then they be, oh, okay, I got that now. I'm good. I'm out of here. And they disappear because they think they've got strength now. They didn't realize the strength they had was not their strength. They were receiving strength from the Word, strength from the Spirit, strength from Christ. And then you walk back out the doors and say, okay, I'm good now. 
And then it's not too long before you start falling down again. Because it's, look, this is a, the Christian life is not something we check in and check out of. It's not a compartment. It's, it's, it is your life. This is our lives. Every day, every minute, every month, every year, we walk with the Lord. And we never stop walking. Or we start falling. Will you lay down your life for my sake, Peter? Are you sure about that? Are you sure you're as strong as you think you are? Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to deny me. And then it's right on the heels of that. We often start there with chapter 14, verse 1, a wonderful verse. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So you see the context now. The context is that Jesus is talking about going away from them. Peter is saying, hey, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me. And this is causing some anxiety. This is causing some trouble in the deepest part of them. Now, if you look over at uh, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says it again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And then over in chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Again, speaking about his departure. I mean, he is the center of their lives. And now he's saying, I'm going to go away. They're very sad. As a matter of fact, it says sorrow has filled their heart. And maybe you felt that feeling. Maybe you know what that's about. When someone you love has to go away for a time. Sorrow fills your heart. And that's what the disciples are going through. That's what the, so their heart, that innermost part of them, is very troubled by what is going to happen here. And he says, don't, so the whole rest of this, these next three chapters, 14, 15, um, 16, and actually into 17, is all the same conversation. And Jesus is explaining to them why they shouldn't be troubled. So for those of us that anybody in here tend toward anxiety, tend toward troubled hearts, especially, you know, he doesn't say, let not your heart be troubled, I'll send a big, big check for your checking account. He doesn't say, let, let not your heart be troubled, you know, I'll always make sure there's food on the table, although he did promise those things. Please talking about life, eternal life. He's talking about eternity with him. These are the things that really, I mean, when you boil it all down, this is what we want to know about. What happens when we die? Where do we go? What's heaven like? How do I know I, I, can, I can be there? These are the deep, deep questions that people ask. And he says, the answer, let not your heart be troubled. Answer number one is believe. You believe in God. You have believed. You have trusted God. And he says, now you have to trust me too. See, there's some things that just can't be proven. And, and I found this to be true. A lot of people have thoughts and, and answers they think about what happens when a person dies. I say, how do you know? See, there's only one person. There's a lot of near-death experiences, a lot of books. There's bookstores filled with books on near-death experiences and, and this thing and that thing. Only one has fully died, buried, and resurrected. And he's come back to tell us the truth about what happens when we die. Now, reincarnation, fancy stories about what happened when you were on drugs or whatever, I I don't know about all that. There's no proof of that. And this is not something you can read in a science textbook. 
This is not something you're going to scientifically discern. Where does the you know, consciousness, the spirit of a man? They're still trying, scientists are still trying to figure out. I remember reading an article that you know, biology boils down your consciousness to just a series of chemical reactions in your brain. That's like boiling down Beethoven's fifth to just a series of notes played on the piano. I mean, in one sense it is, but it's so much more than that. Our mind, our consciousness, it still baffles people. The spirit that, that leaves the body. You know, there's, there's the body, and you just know that spirit, there, there's, a me, there's a me that's not connected to this body. And that's, a, that, that's, that's me inside this body. This is just my earth suit. I get a heaven suit when I go to heaven. This one's not suited for heaven. It would burn up in the presence of Christ. I need one that can, that, can, that can be eternal, and we'll get a new one. But these are the kind of things that, that you know, when, we, when your heart is troubled, these are the things that really, really get down to the deep, nitty-gritty. And, and ultimately, you, you, you are just going to have, whatever you believe about life and death, whatever you believe, you're going to have to take it on faith. Now, I choose to place my faith in something I have very much evidence for. Because the tomb in, in Jerusalem is still empty. And there were hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection. That's why Paul says if the resurrection didn't happen, then we might as well pack it up and go home. Everything we believe hinges on the resurrection. And, and my belief in what happens when I die is based on the fact that Jesus Christ, is based on Easter, Jesus Christ is alive. He conquered death. So believe in reincarnation if you want. Believe in annihilation if you want. But you will not know. And I pray you don't, too many people wait to the last minute to try to figure it out. Settle that in your heart now. Because otherwise, you're going to be troubled when it comes to that time when you're dealing with those things. Oh, you're a mess. I don't know. What, what's going to happen? Jesus says you can settle that right now. How do you settle it? You trust him. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about a lot. I can't program, you know, the, the VCR. I don't know much about computers. I don't, so I'm certainly no expert on the afterlife. But I know one that is. And that is where I'm putting my trust. And look what he says. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now that word mansions has come to mean something much different than it meant than the word in, the, in Greek means, you would translate that dwelling place. So in my father's house, there, you could say there are many places to stay. There's a whole lot. Uh, he, heaven is not limited. We're, this is what we're, we're talking about, the father's house, where, where God dwells. And then there's, no, there's, there's many places. I wonder how many vacant places are going to be there. I don't know, I was just thinking about that the other day. I wonder how many places have been set aside for people who are going to never enter them. I don't think we'll know about all that in heaven because there's no tears. We, we know a lot about what's not going to be in heaven. No more curse, no more death, no more crying, none of that. No more night. Matter of fact, the, the, you know, Calvary Chapel started out in California. A lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors love to surf, and they're very disappointed in the book of Revelation because it says there's no more sea. They're upset they can't surf. There's no sea. But there are a lot of fruit trees, and so I'm digging that. I like that. But in my Father's dwelling place, there are many 
places to stay. One man said, uh, you could say many apartments, like a big apartment building. There's many apartments, many places to dwell. David, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, but wait, there's more. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He understood that. You know who else understood that? The Apostle Paul. He writes in Philippians, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, between life and death, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I want that attitude. I want that confidence. I want that faith that God, that, that Jesus is preparing a place for me. He says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. Look, if it were not so, I would have told you. His heart in this, to hear Jesus talking to his disciples saying, look, you can trust me. If, if Christianity, think about this, if Christianity is not true, then Jesus was a very cruel and heinous liar. And we have been roped into a very deceptive lie. Not only just a deceptive, probably one of the cruelest lies ever. For him to say, look, I'm telling you the truth. You can trust me on this. And, and if he knew he was lying, he truly is as C.S. Lewis. He's, he's, he's a lunatic for saying that. But if he's really telling the truth, and he really says, look, I'm, my father's house, many places to stay. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And if he's right about that, then there's a lot of other beliefs that are just as heinous lies that are misleading people in the other direction. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. A place. Heaven is a place. It's not just like disembodied spirit. Paul said, I don't, it's not that we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. We want to be clothed with, with the eternal body. So heaven is a place. I don't know how you picture it. You know, we, we, in, we're in Isaiah on uh, Wednesday nights right now, and we're talking about this one angel that kills 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And, and the, I'm sure he wasn't this little puffy, you know, fat-cheeked little angel with wings and a harp killing 185,000 Assyrians were the meanest warriors of their day. So angels are tough, man. If I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I remember when, when we were pregnant with Jacob, our first, and Helga went into this nesting mode, right? Where she just, like, we started to get the nursery ready and get the colors and get the crib and all the stuff getting ready. Start to nest. Why? We're preparing a place. He wasn't there yet, but he was on the way. And so as a, as a parent, you just, I mean, you don't, even, you don't even know him yet, but you already love him. And you already as a parent, you start to nest and prepare this place because you want to bless that child. And just in here, do you know this building, those that have been involved with this thing, do you know how it was such, such hard work, so much labor, but the joy of, of opening the doors and welcoming you into the place we prepared for you. And the place you've been part of preparing for others. What a blessing. 
What a blessing. And Jesus, he says, I'm go- here's why I have to leave. Uh, it's not that I just want to leave because I want to get away from you guys. I'm leaving because I am going to prepare a place for you. You all, it's a second person plural. We would say, I'm going to prepare a place for y'all. <laughs> Biscuits and gravy and whatever else we're going to have there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I mean, and, and if can be since, if or since I'm, since I'm doing this, I'm not going to go and prepare a place just to leave it empty. He says, I, there's no, no doubt, there's no middle ground on this. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We, we picture ourselves as, you know, David wanted to build a, he sat in his beautiful kingly mansion and he said, you know, I don't deserve, I should build something for God. I, I should build a temple for God. And he sets about to do that. God says, no, Solomon's going to build a temple, but I'll tell you what, David, how about I build you a house? We always think we're doing God a favor, right? That, oh God, I'm doing this for you, doing that for you. Meanwhile, God is the one we say, oh, God, we, pre- we prepared a place for you. He said, I don't dwell in, God doesn't dwell in, in houses made with human hands. When we dedicate tonight's dedication service, we, the building, we don't, the building is just material. We are the temple of God. We're coming tonight to dedicate ourselves to God. And if we are given to God, this place will be filled with his presence. But he's, we, we, oh, God, we prepared this wonderful place for you. No, no, no. I'm preparing a place for you. And if, and if a human pastor, if a human leadership team can take so much joy and watching, some of you have wept coming in here. And the comments we've received about how beautiful the sanctuary is, how beautiful the church is. Can you imagine the place that Jesus has been preparing for 2,000 years for you with the Father? You think you're going to get there and go, man, this is, this is it? Really? I, I, I believed for this? And we think we're going to be so disappointed. This, li- this life is so temporary. And whatever you think you're sacrificing here, you're going to get to heaven. And, and there's, so much, there's so much I don't know about heaven, so much I don't understand about heaven. But I do know that Jesus has prepared a place for me. And, and I, I want to be in it. What's it going to be like? I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. You know, in, the Bible says that we're there, we will know just as we're known. No more crying. No more memory of, of these things. It, we're going to know all the, all the sin that keeps us from being transparent with each other, all the hiding, all the shame, all the guilt, all that gone, and we'll finally, it's not that, you know, people say, well, will I know so-and-so in heaven? Will I know so-and-so in heaven? Well, some say, well, you're not dumber in heaven than you are on earth. And I think the, the real, but that's a kind of a corny answer, but the real answer is, I think that's the first time we'll actually know each other. That's the first time we'll be fully transparent. Because we'll know just as we're known. How does God know us? Fully and completely. There's not, everything is naked and open for the eyes of the Lord. 
there, sin having been dealt with on the cross, all things, naked and open, uh, will be know, will know just as we're known. We'll know Christ fully, at least as fully as, as we can uh, in, in that, our glorified bodies. But here's what's awesome about heaven, and, and I think we, we can get too focused on the human side of heaven, and will my dog be there? Will Fido be there? Will me, Fifi be there? Whatever you... Will, will, and I know, and the, the reality, the question is, will my husband be there? Will my wife, will my grandparents be there? Whatever the, the, and I know the reality of the human experience is that, is that love that we've shared on earth. But here's what's going to be great about heaven. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's what makes heaven heaven, is that Jesus is there. I mean, how many times have you longed to be able to hear his voice better, to know his will perfectly? How many times has your heart longed to, to, to just have that deep fellowship with Christ? You'll have it. You'll have it. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. But, but not just that. I mean, First Thessalonians, Paul talks about, then we who are alive and, and remain shall be caught up together with them, those that have already passed in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with each other. Yes. But he says, we shall always be with the Lord. That's, and then he says, comfort one another with these words. That's what's comforting. We will be all together with him. And that is what heaven is about. I will receive you to myself like a, like a groom preparing a place for the bride and then receiving her into that place so that they can have an intimacy together. And verse 4, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, it's a wonderful, where, oh, this is great. And then Thomas chimes in. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? I mean, I love a person who's honest, Right? Everybody else is going, we don't, we don't know where he's going. You know, we don't, we don't know. And Thomas just says what everybody else is thinking. You ever had, you had, had that experience? That maybe, maybe that's you. We, we had uh, a friend of ours, we have some beehives at the house, and a friend of ours came over to open up the beehives. And when you open up the beehive, you always want to look for the queen, right? Because she's the life of that hive. She's the giver of life in that hive. And so we always look for the queen, and, and so... You know, Helga's there with me and this other fella, and, we're going, and he goes, oh, yeah, there's the queen. And, and Helga's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I don't see it, but oh, yeah, yeah, there she is, yeah. I see her, it's clear as day. And then five minutes later, oh, oh there was the queen. Okay, I got it now. But I want to admit I couldn't see. Helga could see it, and he could see it. And I'm like, oh, I feel foolish, but my glasses are foggy. Anyway, but Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Our GPS is out. We can't figure this out. How, do we, how can we possibly know the way? And Jesus said to him, this is one of the I am statements of John, I am the way. The, uh, that's a definite article. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This deals definitively with the discussion about all roads leading to God. This leaves room for, now, now the way, he, Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you the way, I'll point you the way, 
I mean, if you, we were trying to get, you know, finding this church is the difficult in and of itself, isn't it? I mean, we're all the way off the road and the signage isn't great, uh, except we put up that sign the other day out front there. But, you know, I could say, hey, I'll show you the way. You can, you can follow me there and I'll show you the way. Or I can say, I'll give you directions, you know, I'll point you the way. Or I can say, hop in, I'll take you. Then our, my vehicle would be the way. Does that make sense? So it's not Jesus just telling us how to get to heaven or pointing us in the direction. You know the story about Billy, Billy Graham went to a, a town to uh, preach at one of his, what do you call those things? Uh, campaign crusade. Yeah, crusade. That's the word I was looking for. Goes to preach at one of his crusades. Well, he couldn't find the venue. And so he, he stops and he asks for directions from a little boy at a gas station. And the boy gives him directions, and finally, uh, as he's leaving, he says, Now, young man, I want to invite you to come hear me preach tonight. I'm going to be telling people how to get to heaven. And he said, I don't think I'm coming. Billy Graham said, Why not? You don't even know how to get to the stadium. <laughs> it's, very com- it's very common and cultural and it's, it's very uh, avant-garde. Is that even a word? I don't even know. I don't speak French. But whatever, it's, it's, it's the culturally current thing to uh, be, uh, say, hey, all roads lead to God. Whatever works for you, that's wonderful. There's only one thing that works. And the good news is it, it's, it's a narrow gate, right? There's, there's two gates. There's a wide gate, the road that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow gate, the road that leads to life. And that gate is narrow. It's the size of Jesus Christ. But it's wide open for anyone who's willing to believe. That's the great thing. I'm glad there's only one way. Because I'm a simple guy. I mean, I don't need all these different explanations and all these different possibilities. One way works for me. I, I go to the grocery store. Grocery stores are overwhelming to me. The number of choices there are. So I'm thankful. If there was one type of cereal, good. Honey, go to the, go to the store and get cereal. Gotcha. Now I need a cell phone to shop, you know. Is it granola cereal, high omega fiber cereal? What kind of cereal do you want? There's like 16 different kinds of this one brand, and it's crazy. But so there's no confusion. There's one way. There's one way if you're Chinese. There's one way if you're American. There's one way if you're Russian. There's one way if you're rich. There's one way if you're poor. There's one way if you're old. There's one way if you're young. And that way is open to anybody and everybody. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Jesus says, I'm that way. Now, if you don't believe that, you don't have issue with me. You've got issue with him. I am the way. And, and as far as truth goes, there's all kinds of different truth. What's the truth about? He says, I'm the truth. And I am the life. Life in human terms, is not defined by, you know, biology defines life by if you breathe and, you know, they've got all the definitions of how you know something is alive. Life, spiritually, is determined by one thing, connectedness or disconnectedness from God. That's where, if you're alive, it's because you're connected to God. And if you're dead, because there's a lot of things that seem to be alive, but they're dead. You know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, I'm, I'm very much alive. Yes, physically, but not spiritually. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Now, I don't know what Philip was expecting when he says, show us the Father. I'm not sure. Was he expecting, you know, pull him out of his pocket or what? I don't know what he was looking for. But he says, Lord, show us the, oh, we just, and I appreciate Philip's heart. Lord, we, God, we just want to know you. We just want to know, show us the Father. What's he like? I mean, you know, we have uh, the plans for this building out there on the table. And we looked at the plans for so long. But tell me that when, when you saw those plans early on, that this is what you expected. It's just so hard to get that two-dimensional idea off the paper and expect this. When you walk in it, it's like, oh, now I see. That's what Jesus is. That God was sort of this two-dimensional, kind of we don't understand him, kind of can't figure him out. And then Jesus shows up. He says, here I am. You can touch me. You can experience me. So that there's no more doubt as to what God is like. I am. He says, show show us the Father. It would be sufficient. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? That, that might be something that would apply to some of us in here today. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Have, have you been going to church for that long and you still don't understand my ways? And you still can't hear my voice? You still don't spend it? Have you, Philip, have I been with you so long and, and you still don't, don't know me? He who has seen me, listen, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? If you have seen, this is, Jesus reveals fully and completely God to us. They are exactly the same. Now, I can't, my son can't say that about me. If, if you've seen my son, you've seen me. We're different. He's got hair to start with. He's convinced he's going to keep it. I'm not so sure. He keeps telling me about Rogaine. I keep telling him about genetics. (laughs) He's hoping for his mom's genetics on that one. But he he can't say if if you've seen me, you've seen my father, because he's got some of his mother in him. But Jesus could say that. And so when he, did Jesus ever, to be God, you bet. There's no other way to see this. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You can know that there's so many people that are confused about what God is like. He is just like Jesus. Period. Perfectly. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God, but in human, in human, in flesh form. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And we'll stop there uh, for now. And I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up as we close, 
It's a fantastic time in the fellowship because there's an interest in the building, and I'm going to be unashamed to say I'm taking advantage of that to continue to offer the truth and the reality of the gospel in your life and to, uh, to invite you and to remind you that God has prepared a place for you. And the only thing that keeps you from that place is unbelief. And Jesus said, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So as we stand and and sing a closing song, I'm going to give the same invitation. I I don't know all of you. Uh, There's a lot of new folks that are coming around. And again, I hope you've been warmly welcomed. And I hope you see that what we're doing is just looking to see what God says. If you have issue with anything I've said this morning and, and um, you know, maybe you think Buddhism is, Buddhism is a good way or Hinduism should be a good way or Islam should be a good way and that we all, you know, uh, you know, that, that's one of the, they, they, they don't all say the same thing. So they can't all be pointing, they don't all point the same direction. They're pointing in different directions. Islam says God has no son. So you can't, it's really an unintelligent, sorry if you believe this, but it's really, it, it's, an, it's an unexamined view. How about that? that? Maybe that's more politically correct. It's an unexamined view to say, oh, all roads lead to God. What that means is you don't know what any of the roads lead to. And we sometimes we can be so open-minded that our brains fall out. (laughs) Those of you who are laughing know someone whose brains have fallen out. (laughs) Look, the, the times are short. We live in urgent times. Russia and what's going on over there. I mean, the, the Word of God prophecy is, is still continuing to come to fruition. And the times we live in are urgent. And we have no more time for hypocrisy. No more time for self-deceit. And so as we stand, and, and let's do that now, as we've talked about the real matters, life and death and eternity, and a place for you, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And this morning, He's inviting you to come. Come and receive His promises. Come and receive an inheritance. Come and receive the place He's prepared for you. And He's inviting you to come. Father, I just pray as we sing this final song, that maybe if, if you're working in somebody's life this morning, I don't know who, maybe many who's or whosoever's. I pray that someone might be willing to come down with them, Lord, so they don't feel isolated or alone. I pray that anyone who's feeling the call to come would just come forward, come to the cross, and receive all that you have for them, Lord, starting with forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.